Good morning, everybody. We got a scripture reading this morning in First Peter from chapter two, verse eighteen through chapter three, verse twelve. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, have, having died to sins, might live for the righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste, conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden, person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers not be hindered. Finally, all of you be one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers, be tender-hearted, be, be cur- courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right, let's, let's pray. 
Lord God, we just come to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the ability to come here in Buell, Idaho, and worship you, Lord. As things seem difficult and seem to be getting more difficult, Lord, we want to put our faith in you, Lord, to protect us and uh, give us the direction down the path you want us to go, Lord. Lord, we just pray for Jackie today, Lord, that the words be on his lips that you would want him to reveal to us, and that we could take him out into this world and be disciples, Lord. So we thank you for today. We thank you for all you do and who you are, Lord. We thank you for what you did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God is good, <clears throat> and I am a testimony of his goodness. As we start uh, this morning, I want to remind you, we started last week, we talked a little bit about our relationship to government, and it's part of a larger section, which we may or may not finish today, that is called the, a code of conduct for Christian living. This is our code of conduct that we've been looking at, and it is particularly in Peter. There's several of them in Scripture, and they're all pretty close to the same thing. But um, Peter's focus is on those, basically our witness to an unbelieving world. When he, when he talks about husbands and wives, he's going to specifically be talking about uh, being married to an unbeliever. When he talks about slaves and masters, you're going to talk about wicked masters. When he, when he talks about our relationship, it's going to be to a hostile world and our response to a hostile world. He's going to give us the code of conduct that is going to show what a Christian submitted to the grace of God looks like. And it's an important list for us to consider because it really is going to go against everything in us most of the things in us don't want to do this we want vindication but the lord calls for submission from a believer and i want you to understand that call for submission was first seen for you and i in the life of jesus christ yes you remember the garden of Gethsemane? Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What do we call that? Submission. Jesus submitted himself in obedience to the Father, and what did he wrought for that? The salvation of all believing so as we look at scripture today, we want to understand that call, the relationship that we have around us. So he's going to start with masters and slaves. Now, most of the time when we talk about masters and slaves, we talk about employees and employers. But I don't like to do that because if you are an employee, you can quit. If you're a slave, you don't get to quit. You don't get to show up one day and say, you know what? I don't like how you treat me. I'm out. So just so you know, the Bible, this is not like straight across comparison. 
But it is a straight across comparison for how we are to respond. Now, a lot of times people ask me, why, why does the Bible not condemn slavery in, in, uh, in the word of God? And I, and I tell them this every time. Uh, slavery is better than death. And if you think death is better than slavery, then you're in opposition to the word. The word of God would say, life is better. We always want to justify taking life, right? We always want to say, well, you know, this child is going to grow up in a home. Nobody really wants it. It's better that it die now than suffer throughout its life. We want to justify, but the Bible teaches us life is better. Once upon a time, living was hard. When you're hungry, it may get that way again, but when you're hungry, you just go to the store. Did you have to plant carrots? Well, some of you did, but not, not, certainly not all of you. And when you want a carrot, where do you go? You go to the store, you buy a bag of carrots. And if there's not a bag of carrots, you would think it was weird. What? No bag of carrots? But it wasn't that way 100 years ago. 200 years ago? Let's go 1,000 years ago. Every day was a struggle for survival. And in that world something like slavery grew because a person who couldn't take care of his family could sell himself as a slave and provide. Life was better. Now, in that, you did not always have a master who followed biblical principles. When the Bible talks about slavery, you were not allowed to abuse your slave. But that's not the real world, is it? In the real world, slavery doesn't always work out like that. So he begins in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. So you're in a Roman world that has around 6 million slaves. What do you think the odds are in your church you have slaves that are come to church that day that... Uh, that you know, are, are looking for the hope of the word. And some of them have a good master who takes care of them. And some of them don't. So Peter lays out for us, what is it that we should, how should we respond if you are that slave to the master? In verse 19, he says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That applies to us all. Not too many slaves these days, certainly in America. But as we look at this, we recognize that the call of God is to endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. You look and you go, this is, I didn't do anything wrong and here I am. Life is hard. Things are difficult. Sometimes when I go to bed and I wake up the next day, I wake up and uh, my husband or my wife isn't here anymore. They've gone home to the Lord or maybe they just run out the back door. But either way, I find myself in a place where I am suffering unjustly. The word from God would be endure your sorrow. In verse 20, he says, for what credit is it when you sin if you are beaten? And you endure more so when you do good and suffer for it and you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, like I said, even from the beginning in the teachings of Christ, no one is considered a slave anymore, right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So all those distinctions are removed. We stand before God in the, in the same way and under the same light. But the world didn't see it that way. Aristotle himself said, injustice could never be done to a slave. You guys heard Aristotle, right? Injustice could never be done to a slave because a slave was property. But the Bible never taught that. The Bible taught that slave was a person who was worthy of the same honor as the master. But the call to the slave was to put himself in subjection to his master. Most slaves in Rome were not conquered slaves. Many were sold, certainly in the Jewish world, many sold themselves into slavery. Although there were times in the Jews' history, the exile in Babylon, the exile in Assyria, where they find themselves as slaves as a, as a uh, part of a battle. But even in regard to that, the Lord is saying through Peter, be subject to your master. Live an honorable life. But listen to the words. He said, live. It's really easy to be like Peter, guys, and to grab your sword and charge into a pile of Romans. It's really easy to do that. That's natural. Oh, you're coming to arrest Jesus? Fine, I'll grab my sword and I'll hit the smallest one I can. Right? Malchus's servant was probably not the guy armed with the most stuff. I promise you, in front of all that, there was a first sergeant. The first sergeant had scars all over his face. His armor was all dinged up. His sword had big notches in it and probably hadn't been cleaned from the last battle. But Peter didn't go for him. Peter went in for the, the servant of Malchus. And his goal was to commit suicide by Roman. Remember, Peter told Jesus... I'll die with you. And Jesus said, no, you won't. You'll deny you know me three times. Because God wants us to live. Living's hard. Dying's easy. Living with our failures is hard. Living with our circumstances. I'm a slave. But as a slave, I think, well, what, my life is, is worthless. That's not what God says. God says, live. You know his word to the slaves in exile in Babylon? His word to the slaves in exile was this. Go, marry, plant, build, increase, don't decrease. The Lord was telling them in slavery, Live. A lot of things in life are going to make you want to stop doing that. Anybody ever felt like that before? But the, the thing that the scripture is laying out for us is that is not our response. When the Christian response and the Christian code of conduct, if I'm a slave, I want to live. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to be the best slave I can. I'm going to walk in submission, be subject to my master. And if he beats me unjustly, I'm going to endure setting my eyes on Christ. How is that different from living life? Now, I can give you some stuff about, uh, you know, you have a bad employee-employer relationship. But you guys know that's not the same, right? 
but it does kind of picture metaphorically the way that the wickedness of the world beats down on the heart of a believer, no? And God's desire for us is to live. What's the character of our endurance? A slave enduring unjust punishment. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at this a couple times. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 says this, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this Jesus words, right? I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What makes you look like a son from our father in heaven? When you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Praying for those who persecute you is not gossiping about those who persecute you. Those are two different things. Prayer and gossip is not the same thing. A great, you want to know, I think it was several weeks ago, we were talking about bitterness and we were singing the blessing. I don't know if you guys noticed, we sing it every time we end service for a while. And uh, just in case you didn't notice. And um, Kathy came up one time and she whispered in my ear, we should sing that to the person we're bitter at. And you should probably use that as your prayer over those who persecute you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. We should pray these things over those who persecute us. For he makes his son, this is the Lord, Jesus speaking in Matthew 5. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? It's easy to love people who are easy to love. Loving your enemy, praying blessing over them. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Finding that ability to walk in the grace that God is challenging us to. And he, he's looking in his culture at a group of people that really have a lot of reason to give up and quit. Slaves being abused by masters. But the word from the Lord is to endure, to walk, to be obedient. And then he goes on in verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called. To what? What is it that you have been called to? We don't like this. We've been called to suffer. You pay attention to this world? Let me ask this. We'll just get a a short raising of hands. If you have never suffered, raise your hand. Yeah, you guys get it? For you are called to suffer. And, And in our suffering, this world, in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. You know the word tribulation means a crushing. Anybody ever felt like they've been crushed before? So in this world, you will have a crushing, but be of good cheer. I have overcome. So he's telling us in this, through Peter, in this code of conduct, this is how Christ overcame. Do you want to follow that example? So he overcame by praying for those who persecuted him. At the cross, nails being driven in his hands. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
This was the attitude. He says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So we want to follow Christ. Did he do something wrong? It says in verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him, the one who judges justly. Jesus endured the things that he went through on this earth by putting his trust in his father and moving forward. And now he tells you and I to do the same thing with him. As we go through our periods of suffering, rather than threatening, rather than reviling, rather than saying all the things we think we need to say, I don't know if you guys do this, sometimes I sit in my office and I think, you know, I just want to one time say what I really think. And I have people come to me and they tell me, Jackie, you should say what you think. And I don't think I should. (laughs) My son, Joseph, is autistic. He says what he thinks. And most people don't like it. (laughs) What I should do is submit my emotions to Christ. How many thoughts are you supposed to bring captive? So we bring our thoughts captive to Christ. That means I don't just say what I want to say. And I, like Mary, his mother, the mother of Jesus, I want vindication. I look at circumstances in my life and I say, nobody understands. They don't see. They can't hear. I want vindication. So Mary would look at Jesus and say, Lord, you, you turn the water to wine. Show them all that I was right all this time. And Jesus said to her, woman, what have I to do with you? My life on earth is not about your vindication. It is, however, about your salvation. We want vindication. God gives salvation. Now, the beauty is Jesus did what she asked. But he didn't do it publicly. She wanted everybody to be able to see, to be able to say, that was my son who did that. All they knew is the guy who was throwing the party saved the best wine for last. The only people who knew what happened were the, oh, the slaves. Who do you think were the first people who came to Christ? The Bible says not many wealthy and wise and powerful people were called. He didn't say not any. He said not many. Because the poor heard him gladly and responded to what he said. Because he said, I'm not going to deliver you from your suffering, but I'm going to teach you how to endure. This is what he's challenging us to. To endure like Christ. And how do we do it? We trust him. I trust him. Look, I'm sorry. I I get it. Some of us have to deal with worse things than others. Amen? Some of us have a harder road to hoe. Absolutely. For some people, it's super bad. 
And I don't understand why it had to be that way. I don't know why, you know, fathers commit suicide where their children can find them. I don't know why sons do it to their fathers. I don't know why accidents happen and people end up deformed or hurt or never get out of hospital or unable to walk. I don't know why any of those things happen, but I know that in the midst of our suffering, God is calling us to put our eyes on him and live a life glorifying God in whatever place we find ourselves. And when we do that, it witnesses to the world. It bears witness of who we are. Verse 24, he says of Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So the point is, look, I'm, I'm dead to sin and sin is being able to revile those who revile me. To be smitten on the cheek and to smack back. To look for a way in which we can reflect the love of Christ, not for a way in which we can pacify our desires for justice and vindication. He says that we might die to sin and live in righteousness, for by his wounds we have been healed. You were straying like a sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Psalm 23.1 says what? Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. I need him. I don't need health. I'm thankful for my health, but I don't need health. I'm thankful for my stuff, but I don't need stuff. I'm thankful for all of those things, but only thing I really need is him. That's the only thing I need. And the people who learn that secret, you and I, we hear their story, we watch their lives, and we're blown away by their witness as they go through life suffering and rejoicing in Christ Jesus anyway. This is the code of conduct that Christ is calling us to. Now listen, having said that, he goes on in chapter 3. And it starts with the word, likewise. So in the same way, like what we've been talking about, in regard to submission to government, in regard to slaves submitted to to their masters, what's the next person he's going to talk to? Wives. Likewise, he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. What's he saying? Live your faith out loud. Now I know we often comfort ourselves by saying we can go into the world and declare the gospel and if we must, use words, right? People attribute that to St. Francis of Assisi, but usually we use that to uh, satisfy our laziness to do nothing. If you sit at home and watch Netflix, that's not the same thing as living your faith out loud. So he's saying to wives who are married to husbands that are not saved, <laughs> who don't follow Christ, he's saying to wives, listen, you don't have to preach, you don't have to say a word. You need to live your faith out loud before 
your husband, who in this case is an example of the world that is a disbelieving world that, that it, we as believers are trying to live our faith out in front of. Amen? So this is what he's saying. He's saying to them, listen, you, you want to do this so that without a word they may be saved by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. They want to see the reflection of Christ in you. He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry or, or the clothing you're wearing. Now the, the, the point that he's saying is not, look, it's a sin if you comb your hair or you brush your teeth. That's not what he's talking about. <laughs> but he's saying we have a lot in our world today. There's a lot of focus on the outside. Amen. There's a lot of focus on the outside and very little uh, consideration for what's inside. And the Lord is saying, look, I'm not about what's on the outside. You know, comb your hair, brush your teeth, do the stuff that you want to do, but don't do it and then forget the example you are supposed to be on the inside. And that example is the submission of Christ. One of the beautiful pictures for a wife to her husband is the submission of Christ to his father. It's an incredible picture. You, you see it from the beginning in creation. You see J John talk about this beautiful concept that no one has seen God at any time. The only God who is in the bosom of the father. He declares him to us. And then you see in Genesis the Lord take Adam looking for a helper that's comparable to him. And as he's looking, they find no one. The Lord causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he takes from his side. It's not the same. Takes from his side and makes woman to be a helper comparable to him. And literally, I know the movie stole it, but they complete one another. That's what it does. And she becomes a picture of Christ in the relationship of the Godhead in a relationship of marriage. Why do you think the world wants to squash marriage? Why do you think it? Because the Bible, it's a picture of, of the relationship between the Father and the Son. It speaks to and points to the, the triune God. And so we, we have this call to, to walk with our internal person, the, the internal attraction. And what is that internal attraction? What is that that we're supposed to shine a light? What is that supposed to look like? Be, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Did you catch that line? The imperishable beauty? Because beauty is perishable. Well, you don't stay young forever. Do you know that? Don't stay young forever. And the person I see in the mirror these days is not the same one I saw 20 years ago. And that's not the same one I saw 20 years before that. And some of us can do another 20 after that. So I'm impressed. Our outward beauty is perishing. 
the inward beauty, that's the, that's the place where Christ dwells in the temple of the believer, right? He's within us. And so when someone gets to know that internal part of us, they should see a reflection of Christ. So a believing wife should, in the internal part of her body, in, inside her being, should reflect Christ. So that when an unbelieving husband looks at her, he sees Jesus. What is it that, that is specific? A gentle and quiet spirit. This is the opposite of contentiousness. Gentle and quiet. Usually I've noticed that God doesn't call us to those things that are natural. Most of the time it's natural to be contentious. At least in my world, it's way easier for me to be contentious than gentle. But it is the opposite, to be gentle and quiet, to be standing in the presence of a holy God. Why? Because your husband is so amazing that he has earned your respect and this incredible honor that you give him. No, it has nothing to do with him. Why do you do it? Because your God is all of those things. And he is worthy. And so in response to him, it says this attitude, this internal attitude that we have is to God very precious. So when you do it, it is of great value to the Lord God Almighty. When you do it. Now he says, this is how the holy women of who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Now he's talking about the greatest hits of women who were uh, fellow worshipers of the Lord. We, all, we know all their names. Like you know Abraham and his wife Sarah, right? We know their names. We know some, some of them, we know the incredible things that they were able to accomplish and do for the Lord. What the scripture declares for us is what, where was their hope? Was there hope in their husband, in the conduct of their husband, that their husband would finally become the thing that they've been dreaming above since the day they said, I do? Where's their hope? In Christ. They hoped in God. This is how they adorned themselves by submitting to their husbands. This is how they adorned themselves. As Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. It's referring, scripture, Peter is referring to the two times Abraham said to, to Sarah, his wife, tell them you're my sister. Tell them you're my sister. Oh, come on, Abe. We can do better than this. God delivered them. Despite Abraham's failure, God delivered them. And Sarah's submission was a beautiful thing in the sight of God. It pleased him. And he said of her, he said of her, this is very precious. And scripture goes on to say, you are her children. If you do good 
and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now remember, when we talk in the Bible, in the Code of Conduct, about doing good, he's talking about doing good according to the Word of God, not according to our incredible ability to understand what good is. When we do the things God has commanded us, if you do good and you're not afraid, anybody ever been afraid? You ever been afraid submitting to somebody? Look, this is not just about women. In a minute, I'm going to say the same word again. You know what word I'm going to say? Likewise. So when we talk about submission, we're talking about being submitted to the authorities over us who have responsibility over us, being submitted to them as a picture of our submission to Christ. And that when we talked about this before, when we talked about civil government, when civil government commands what God, you guys remember? When civil government commands those things that God forbids or forbids those things that God commands, then we are called to disobey, but to be respectful. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talked about Daniel. We talked about those guys who walked in disobedience to what the government demanded because they demanded things that the Lord God had commanded to do otherwise. But when you find yourselves in those situations, you're ever afraid, what's going to happen if I do this? What will be the end of it all? The Lord says for us, and the Lord says here, he says, you are her children, Sarah's children, when you do good and are not afraid of all the things that exist in your mind about what could happen. Anybody scared about what could happen? You ever been afraid to just really trust and submit to God like maybe God's going to take me early maybe God will take me late yeah hallelujah sounds right to me too that's probably why it won't happen to me I'm going to live a long long time (laughs) but sometimes we're afraid if I trust God what's going to happen if you trust God I promise you this you're going to be okay I don't mean nothing bad will happen Bad stuff will happen to you, but you won't get shipwrecked. You'll keep your eyes on the prize, move forward, and accomplish the things God's called you to. And for wives, this is the same thing. Trust God. doesn't say trust your husband. If you can't trust your husband, then don't trust your husband. Trust God. But still obedient. be obedient to what God's word is declaring. Now listen, he goes on. Verse 7, likewise, in the same manner, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, these days, we should understand this a little better. The rest of the world is fairly confused. The rest of the world doesn't understand that there's a difference between men and women. So just in case you don't know this, let me tell you. A woman's bones are less dense than a man's. I know, I coach football. And when I was coaching football, this young woman wanted to play football. She played on one of the other teams that we played against. And they did their best to keep her safe. She was a punter, which in case you don't know football, is not really very safe. Because most people who are coming at you are at a dead sprint from 10 yards away. And if you don't get the ball off... 
they can wreck you. So a 270-pound Samoan nose guard against a 140-pound girl who's sure she can take on the world. Do you want to know how that ends? In the, the current transgender confusion about sports, there have been at least two women in the MMA who have had their skulls broken because they fought men who are saying that they are women. It doesn't matter what shots you take. If you were a man for 20-some years, you have more bone density and strength. And you can pretend it's not real. When the Bible says give honor, it means give honor. You are to honor your wife. You are to honor her by presenting her before the world without spot or blemish. That's how you're supposed to present her. I fail in this all the time. And then I am thankful for a new morning and a merciful wife. And then we try again. But the point is, God's command to me and my position of responsibility for my family, he tells me, he commands me to honor my wife. He doesn't say anywhere in there, lord it over your wife. Command her, tell her, thus saith the Lord. He doesn't do that. He says to the man, honor her like a weaker vessel. Now I'm going to tell you what that means. That term weaker carries with it the idea, the, the difference between China and Tupperware. You guys know what those two things are? So I don't like to eat on China. Do you guys have China? We used to have China. My dad brought home from Japan and Kathy and I got it. And then a, a two-year-old child found the box and was slowly breaking the pieces one by one. It was great fun for her, but they're less fun for us. But I was okay because I don't really like China. China's very pretty and very fragile. And so I might eat my cereal in a Tupperware bowl and on my hurry to get out the door, turn around and throw it across the kitchen into the sink. And it will bounce around in the sink, tick, 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 and land in the middle. And I'll go, <laughs> and out the door I go. That is the opposite of honoring your wife. Do not treat your wife like Tupperware. Treat your wife how? Like China. Don't break her. Now listen, husbands. You will give an answer to God. You will stand before him as head and give account. So give a good account. Listen to what he says. He says, husbands, live with your wives, understanding way. Showing honor to the woman is a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, what's it say? Anybody ever feel like the Lord doesn't hear them? Well, if you're a husband, it might have something to do with how you're treating your wife. 
treat her with honor. Take good care. Now he has a word for all of us. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now in this verse, we have five adjectives with no verbs. And he's describing for you and I the attitudes. What is the attitude of us in a world that is in rebellion against God and is creates conflict for us? What is our attitude to be? First, we're to have unity. We're to be able to stand together as believers, as family. We're supposed to be a community where we do this with one another. So... So when we hear about members within our community, women who have lost their husbands, we care. We want to try to be a part of relieving some of that suffering. And maybe we can do it by preparing a meal or sending a card or looking for an opportunity to to, uh, give someone a hug or send our prayers. We want to have unity of mind. If a brother is sick, if people are struggling, we're supposed to be community. We stand together for one another. Have unity of mind. Then he says, sympatheus. That means to suffer with. We're supposed to suffer with one another. That's the word being long-suffering. Or have sympathy. Have sympathy for one another. The third adjective, Philadelphia. I know, it's not a city. It's a Greek word. It means brotherly love. Love for the brethren. Esplanchnoi. Then splanchnoi means to have a soft heart. Be tender-hearted toward one another. And finally... Tapenfronas. Tapenfronas means to have a humble mind. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And as we look at these five adjectives, they're, they're set together in a poetic way so that the middle one is the emphasis. Anybody want to guess which one's in the middle? Brotherly love. Crazy, huh? Oh, that just keeps coming up. Brotherly love, surrounded by a tender heart and sympathy, and that is surrounded by unity and a humble mind. Now listen, here's our identity summed up. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Our job is to bless. Don't return evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Listen, he's going to quote from the Old Testament. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Are you catching what he's saying? 
We often say things like, I, I don't know if that God hears me. I don't know if God's listening. I don't know. Sometimes I feel distant from him or I don't feel the things I used to feel. But here he says when our attitude is evil for evil, reviling for reviling, when our attitude is to speak with our tongues evil or deceit against one another, um, he's challenging us to turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. doesn't say seek vindication. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now I know. We wonder, is this really who we're supposed to be? In our identity in Christ, following him, are we supposed to be those who bless, who hold their tongues, who do not lie, who do good as defined by God's word? Those who seek peace, is that who we are supposed to be? 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Romans 12.17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 1 Corinthians 4.12. And we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. Luke 6.28 and 29. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withdraw your tunic either. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have, heard, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs. Do not refuse the one who who would borrow from you. We work our way through scripture. It doesn't take very long to see that there is a code of conduct that God has laid out in regard to our relationship to a Christ-rejecting world. How do we respond? How will we respond to the world that wants to crush us? We shake our fists and we, we clamor for vindication. Listen, there will be a day of vindication. There will be a day, the scripture declare, when every eye will see the king return. When his, when his boots hit the ground, I don't know if he'll have boots, might be sandals. If his, when his sandals hit the ground, when he touches down on earth, all the world will know. And the vindication will come. But it is not right now. Right now, our job is to reflect the character of the Savior who gave his life for us. That a Christ-rejecting world who is squeezing the life out of these believers in 1 Peter can see through their endurance, their love for one another, their kindness, their tenderheartedness, they can see the character of God. And whether they turn then or not, on the day of judgment, they will face it. 
They will face that they came face to face with truth, but like Pilate, they turned their back and said, Ked est veritas. What is truth? And they went about their way still being cruel. But that's not who we are supposed to be. May we be the men and women God is calling us to, that we might rightly reflect his character in a world that doesn't love us that much. Not because we are going to do it like they do it, but because we're going to do it like Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can come before you, study your word, Lord. I pray, God, that you would continue to open our eyes to who you are and what you have done, God. May we recognize the things that you call us to. You are calling us as men and women to bless those who curse us, to be quick to have that heart of Christ the heart of Christ that is able to look at a world and say, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what's really going on. They don't believe it. They don't think it. So all this stuff doesn't make any sense to them. But more than my witness to them, I want to witness before you, O holy God, that you matter more to me than all these other things. So may I freely lay them down to lift up my heart and my hands to you. Thank you for what you've given me to glorify you for who you are. And God, may my lips be ready to pray for those who abuse to extend the love of Christ to a Christ-rejecting world and help me have wisdom in it as I do it. Be glorified here in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.